So, a bit of a filler week this week for this podcast. And yes, as the time of uh, commenting or recording goes, uh, we are edging closer to Easter. However, I thought I would comment about something that we are all yearning to do. A bit of travel. But it's not necessarily the subject that you think that I'm talking about. Because there are some times when oddities come about. So when I went to Italy in September 2019 to attend the Italian Grand Prix, ah, those were the days when you could travel without fear of catch of spreading some unknown virus. But anyway, due to forces outside of my control, namely a strike by pilots of the airline I was using, I had to seek an alternative route home. And that route home ended up involving this. My flight out from Italy was a Vueling flight from Milan Malpensa Airport across the Mediterranean to Barcelona. And in Barcelona, I wouldn't go through passport control, not just because of Spain uh, and Italy being both Schengen nations, within the European Union. Those two are separate things, by the way. But anyway, rather than leaving the terminal, I would transfer to another Vueling flight to London Gatwick. And that begs the question, what country was I in when I was transferring in Barcelona? Now, you might think... It would be simple. Because you might think, oh, it's easy. You're in Spain. And incidentally, this has got nothing to do with the uh, uh, status that's under debate about Catalonia. This is just from an immigration perspective. Anyway, you might think, oh, it's easy. You're in Spain. But am I? Because... I hadn't gone through passport control. Yes, a police officer in the street would say I was in Spain. But to an immigration official, I wouldn't. So it's a bit of a blurry line in that sense. Kind of in Spain, but also kind of not. And there are similarly bizarre examples as well. Uh, that are involving flights that go beyond Europe. Like, for example, BA001, which is, at the time of recording, an Airbus A318 flight from London City Airport to New York JFK via Shannon in Ireland. Why does the aircraft stop? in Shannon 
midway, well, not even midway through the journey, not even a third of the way through at that. But why does it stop off in part of the journey? Well, there's two reasons. One, because of the steep climb out and approach at London City, the aircraft is unable to take on the full quantity of fuel in order to cross the Atlantic. But for another, customs. You see, Ireland, like a few other places in the world, like several airports in Canada, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, they have what's known as customs pre-clearance. In other words, what that means is you go through US customs, in this case in Ireland, and when you arrive in the United States, you arrive as a domestic traveller, effectively. So when you arrive in Shannon, you don't leave the terminal. You don't even transfer between flights. You just have your baggage scanned if it's in the hold or checked if it's in cabin baggage. And after that, once you yourself have been checked through US Customs, you reboard the aircraft. Fully, fuel, 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 fully fueled up and on route across the Atlantic against the wind. And yeah, it's you may have noticed the number for those who are aircraft enthusiasts. BA001. That used to be Concorde's flight number. But is it another example of Concorde? BA001 in its current guise? Not really. Because it takes about an hour to fly from London City to Shannon. And then another seven hours to go from there to JFK. Plus there's another hour and a half going through US Customs in Shannon. So there's not really a time-saving aspect by crossing the Atlantic. Indeed, you could board a conventional flight using, for example, a 747, cross the Atlantic in eight hours and uh, get there before the... Um, a318 did even with refueling in Shannon. So it's very bizarre, I have to say. While we're on the subject of oddities, you might think that uh, if a nation is a member of the EU, that they would automatically be, by the same token, Schengen states as well. Not quite. You see, let's take, not, not counting the UK anymore, um, but if we take Switzerland, for example, 
surrounded on almost all sides by EU member states and also states that are Schengen states. <clears throat> it's simply a matter of convenience that uh, Switzerland allows its borders to be like that in the sense that it is a Schengen state despite not being in the European Union. And similar applies to other nations like uh, Iceland, even though it's an island nation, Norway, and the uh, microstates of Liechtenstein, San Marino, and Vatican City. They all have open borders, as stipulated in the Schengen area. Incidentally, Schengen takes its name from the village of Schengen in another microstate, Luxembourg. Another example of what I was talking about in terms of EU states and uh, their agreements with regards to their borders. Two states that used to be part of what used to be Yugoslavia. Slovenia and Croatia. I'm not so much talking about how their border is very arbitrary and zigzags through forests. I'm talking more about how the fact that despite both these nations are EU states, as, as of the time of recording, only Slovenia is in the Schengen area. It shares open borders with neighbouring states like Italy and also Austria and Hungary. But with Croatia, the border is enforced by the police. So people have to show their passport to police officers when they cross. So it's another example of how if a nation is in the EU, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are part of the Schengen area. How bizarre. So, it is very strange how these situations can occur. But, uh, into the second half of uh, this week's post, I'll bring it on to a subject closer to home for me, if you excuse the pun. I'll talk about examples where Formula One races uh, were staged under the name of a country that doesn't actually host the Grand Prix itself. They're in no particular order and the reasons for them will vary but anyway here goes now before I get started I will include an honourable mention to the first race that Baku staged because in 2016 the race in Baku was incorrectly in my view staged as the European Grand Prix is Azerbaijan a part of Europe? 
as far as I'm concerned, no. So that's why I included it as an honourable mention. But having said that, there will be debate one way or the other because uh, it goes on and on, back and forth, let's say. For the first example, I'm going to include a nation that in the 1950s did actually host Grand Prix in its own borders. I'm talking once again about Switzerland. Up until the occurrence of the Le Mans disaster in 1955, Switzerland hosted Grand Prix at the Bremgarten circuit, which was an old school layout in Switzerland. No prizes for that. But after the awful tragedy that befell the spectators and drivers involved in the Le Mans disaster in 1955, Switzerland renounced motorsport in its own borders. But that didn't stop Switzerland being used officially as the host of a Grand Prix, albeit at the Dijon Prenois circuit in Dijon, France. In 1982, the Swiss Grand Prix was, as already mentioned, staged at the Dijon Prenois circuit in France. And incidentally, it was that race, the one and only race victory he had that year, that led to eventual world champion Keke Rosberg securing the world championship. One race win all year, and it was enough to win the world championship indicates just what a crazy year 1982 was for Formula One. For the next example, we switch to the Italian peninsula. And I use the name quite deliberately because in the Italian peninsula are two enclaved micronations within Italy itself. One of them is Vatican City, and the other, which which allowed its name to be used between 1981 and 2006, the San Marino Grand Prix. The San Marino Grand Prix was staged at Imola, near Bologna in Italy. And to, find, and to establish the reason why, we need to go back a year to 1980. Why? In 1980, Monza, for one reason or another, was unable to stage the Italian Grand Prix in 1980. That's why Mon there was no Italian Grand Prix at Monza in 1980. So, the Autodromo Enzo Edino Ferrari, a.k.a. Imola, was used as an alternative. And despite typical of the year, Ferrari not having the best of times, in the 1980 Italian Grand Prix, Imola proved so successful that it was used as a second Italian venue, albeit at the opposite end of the year to Monza's traditional spot of September. So, from 1981 to, nine, nine, to uh, 2006, as mentioned already, the San Marino Grand Prix 
was a name given for convenience to basically enable Italy to stage two Grand Prix. But, as mentioned earlier with Switzerland, it wasn't a geographically accurate representation because, let's face it, given the size of San Marino, it, it was given the hilly terrain of that tiny republic, there was no way it was ever going to be possible to stage a Grand Prix in that tiny place. My dear, Monaco does. <laughs> yeah, but still. So for the next example, I'll be talking about a venue which has staged Grand Prix under various names over the years. The German Grand Prix, the European Grand Prix. In 2020, it staged the Eiffel Grand Prix in unexpected circumstances, <clears throat> COVID-19. But in 1997 and 1998, the Nürburgring, that's the modern-day equivalent built in the 80s, not the Nordschleife, staged the Luxembourg Grand Prix, which, once again, is a geographically inaccurate name. Because, as with San Marino, Luxembourg is a microstate whose territory is too small to feasibly include the building of a racetrack to host the Grand Prix within its own borders. But, but in reality, there's a bit more to it than that. In 1997, the calendar was originally supposed to feature 18 races. However, due to being unable to come to an agreement with Estoril to stage the Grand Prix once again in Portugal, 1996 remains the last time Estoril was used to stage the Portuguese Grand Prix, incidentally. Um, Jerez was used as a hastily incorporated replacement for, for the Portuguese Grand Prix. And that race was designated the European Grand Prix. And, of course, it was that race where the 1997 World Championship was decided. It turned into him. <laughs> now, having a country host two Grand Prix in a year, while it's unusual, it's not excessively so. But what is even more unusual is examples where nations have hosted three Grand Prix's. And to the best of my knowledge, that has only occurred twice. In 1982 and just last year in 2020. In the first occasion, it was the United States. No surprise there, because Formula One, it seems, has been forever trying to woo the United States into hosting Grand Prix. In that year, they hosted Grand Prix at Long Beach, uh, Detroit, and Las Vegas. Yes, Las Vegas. In the car park of the uh, Caesars Palace Hotel. What a terrible venue. Anyway, <laughs> um, 
And of course, last year, Italy. Italy staged three Grand Prix in a calendar year as well. At Monza, Mugello and Imola. Far better than any of the street tracks used in, in the United States. And this shows how poorly thought out the street circuits in America were. Not only did it result in none of them surviving through to today, but none of them even made it out of the 80s, in a Formula One context anyway. 1982 was the last year that Caesars Palace car park was used. Detroit was the first time was first used in 1982 and wouldn't would last be used in 1988. And Long Beach, well, Long Beach wouldn't stay for Formula 1, but it would instead migrate to IndyCar. And to, to be fair, it, it does host a popular round of the uh, uh, IndyCar series. And of all of them, it would probably make a nice change to return. Because it, the, sport has, the, the layout has grown since the time Formula 1 used it. But anyway. So yeah. To the best of my knowledge... Two occasions where one nation has hosted three Grand Prix in the calendar year. So yeah, that's it for this particular filler week. It is little more than a filler week. But oh boy, will it be worth it next week. I don't want to give too much away. But needless to say, the guest that I've got next week, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to interviewing him, is someone who is quite a prevalent YouTuber, especially up here in the Northwest. I don't want to say too much, because I'd rather let the interview do the talking, especially from the man himself. I shall see you next week. And uh, yeah, if you haven't already, keep listening to me on Spotify, Apple Play and the other platforms that uh, I didn't realise that this uh, podcast is on. But anyway, I shall see you next week.